2: has Jordan, and now it shakes, Gray
1: gets two! Gilmore on... Oh, stop! Oh, brother. No lead Toledo artist, you get 21!
2: 4.28 to go in the first quarter for the Cow Palace. Here's Barry.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast at HarderFroxSystem.com. I am Jason Mann, and with me as usual is Rich Krejci. Rich, great to be back with you.
1: Yes, I am uh, I am ready for Russell Mania, brother. Indeed. I don't know about you, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready as well, yes. We
0: are continuing our uh, Russell uh, Mania series, looking at the uh, life and career and legacy and all the good stuff about uh, Bill Russell. And uh, today we are going to talk about the uh, the rivalry that he had with uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Or was it really a rivalry? It could have been a competition. Uh, it was a a friendship. A it was it was many things. And um, who better to uh, discuss it with uh, is the uh, the author of the uh, new book uh, Ball Don't Lie, and a great guy to talk about basketball history with, Yago uh, Colas. Iago, welcome back to the show, sir.
2: Thanks, guys. It's good to be here.
0: And, um, I, I'm going to start off with something that, uh, Russell said that, that I think is, um, is very appropriate here. Um, quote, we were never rivals. We were competitors. A rivalry means there is a victor and a vanquished. In this case, there was never a victor or a vanquished, just competitors. And in, you wrote a, a great chapter in your book, Iago, about, um, the myth of the rivalry and, um, but first of all, I guess before we get into the the chapter itself and some of the points that you made, why don't you just talk about the book a little bit at first uh, and just you know just let everyone know kind of what it's about and uh, tell them that they should buy it too because it's really
2: good. Okay, you should buy it. Uh, you, <laughs> yeah, you, we're good. You can get it online from Amazon or from Temple University Press directly. I think maybe Barnes and Noble too. Um, it's basically a book about the history of basketball by way of the stories that the culture of basketball has generated from the time of its invention up through the present day, really. And, um, I'm particularly interested in what I call myths, which are certain stories that may contain truth, may be entirely true in some ways, but in particular convey a certain firm belief, um, for those who adhere to those myths. And I try and look at those myths, kind of with a critical eye, figuring out how they work, uh, what kind of work they do in the culture. And then I try to also in each chapter, which is each one's devoted to a myth, supplement those um, with historical information and a kind of critical perspective on the relationship between the sport and American society at a given moment. And then lastly, I try to offer kind of an alternative to each myth. Um, Each chapter has a section um, that's called an invention And in those, I try to tell a different story about the same figures or teams or event uh, that the myth has kind of accrued to. So it's basically a way of hacking basketball uh, as a story generating machine.
1: And I think one part that I really loved, and I think it's the first line of this chapter, but I think it really encapsulates a lot of what I think we're going to do here a little bit and a lot of what uh, stuff that Jason and I have talked about and sort of tried to get away from uh, ...with this podcast, but I thought this was a, a really, really good line. It just set the stage for this entire chapter, which I really love. Uh, and this is, this is a quote from that line. Uh, a friend of mine expressed the feeling driving this chapter as an informal rhetoric, uh, rhetorical question. You see a man with 31,000 points. Another has 11 rings. You think, I have to choose. What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> I love that because that's, that's, like, J- I feel like Jason and I do a pretty good job of not, like, this guy, that guy. Like, let's, like, debate decide and discuss and do all that. Like, it could be both. Like, both guys are good. But I think that in particular I thought was a really poignant thing because that's always been my deal. is I always, you know, it, it's sort of, it's kind of a casual fan's perspective. I don't want to say that it's only, you know, casual fans are doing it, but it seems to be that. It, it people are so strong in like, okay, Jordan, you know, we see it not even, yes. we're seeing a ton this year, you know, Steph Curry, you know, the Warriors versus the Bulls, who would win? You know, Steph Curry versus Michael Jordan, LeBron versus Michael Jordan, you know, and then, of course, this is, you know, perhaps the first one in the NBA that everybody sort of remembers, it's, you gotta choose Russell or Wilt, it can't be both, it's gotta be one or the other, you know, and and it's just a very interesting sort of, and you tackle that throughout the chapter as well, of just sort of why, why do we feel as human beings, like we have to, che- like, exactly. just enjoy both, like, it's okay, you could do that, but it's, it's, I, I think you do a pretty good job of, of building that up, you know, sort of deconstructing it and then sort of talking about, hey, you know, it's just kind of the way people are sometimes.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I should give credit to, uh, Chris Flink for that, uh, quote, which was actually a tweet, um, in the first place. And, um, yeah, I really felt like it, it did capture, uh, especially kind of the, the, the dynamic involved. That is a sense of compulsion to choose and having first dichotomized the two that is kind of set it up as a binary option and then feeling compelled to choose and so I'm I'm trying to look at what it is uh, that makes us feel compelled but also what it is that has made um, the debate such as it is fall out and, and get kind of um, constructed in the way that it typically has um, where I think it's safe to say that for most people Um, however much they may admire Wilt Chamberlain's individual um, achievements, uh, would ultimately wind up saying that Bill Russell was the better or the more important uh, player or the one they would choose to start their team with. Um, It's not that nobody kind of chooses Wilt, but I'm interested in the fact that, that it tends to fall on the Russell side, and I'm particularly interested in the way the argument is constructed to support that choice. Um, As you say, I think that, you know, there's a way in which I also try to accept or make room for the fact that it's sports. Um, There are winners and losers. And so there's a way in which the very game itself kind of seems to invite us to choose. Uh, But there's also other ways to look at what happens when two great individual players take the court um, and face off as members of teams, um, especially – so frequently and at such high stakes kind of situations as these two men did.
0: Yeah. And, and there's, you know, the, the, the fact that, um, Chamberlain's greatness is captured so well with with the numbers. Um, yeah. You know, he was he That's was right. obviously the greatest scorer of of his time and almost of all time. Um, you know, he he outproduced um, Russell on an individual level. If you go back and look at the numbers and don't really know um, much about the context, you would yes. say, "Oh, it's it's well, definitely." And then, if you're looking at it just from a point of view of of you know who won the matchups, it's Russell because Russell you know won almost uh, his teams won almost every time in in the in the playoffs anyway. Yes. Um, and it's a little bit more of a mystery as to what it was that you know made Russell great. I mean, you you can. You know, There's obviously stories about it. You can understand the way that he um, basically reinvented defense in the NBA and the way that he transformed, you know, along with a lot of other factors, helped transform the Celtics into this machine that just ran through um, the NBA. But there's also that um you know with one you can see and with one it's harder to see and Uh um and you 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 address that as well but i I do think that that's kind of part of the mystery that maybe kind of keeps this sort of a fascinating story you know 50 or more years after you know the after this rivalry occurred
2: absolutely i mean it's part of you know just the way you just described i think it's excellent um you know it taps into some very deep-seated uh kinds of Quandaries or dilemmas that we experience just as human beings forget basketball fans um, You know between the tangible and the intangible and the mind and the body and you know We always you know, we want to reconcile these things But we also kind of sometimes feel them to be intention and need to settle uh, On one as more important or more valuable and I think that uh, I'm not the first to say for sure Uh, In fact Russell himself said it um, long ago that just about every kind of debate you'd want to have about human existence, you could project onto these two players. Um, And so I think that, you know, that's part of what drives this as well, that we don't necessarily kind of maintain a solid awareness of what it is that makes us invest in these particular kinds of um, arguments. The other thing I just wanted to say, uh, you know, one of the most striking things I discovered in doing the research for the book is that uh, they played what 140 some games against one another. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, 143. 143, right? And um, the average margin of victory for the Celtics in those games was two points. Um, so, as much as the Celtics won, you know the majority of the regular season games and so many, so many uh, playoff games and championships, especially, ultimately, you're talking about a single field goal. Um, and so it, it's, it's interesting to me that 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 fact, for example, gets lost, um, in this very oversimplified, um, dichotomy between individual statistics and rings.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, the, you know, one thing that you, um, made a really interesting point is that, you know, if, if you kind of looked at, um, if you never seen the two side by side, based on the how the two were described, yeah, uh, you would see Chamberlain as like this hulking giant and Russell as you know this this skinny frail guy who just couldn't physically compare. And and Chamberlain is obviously um bigger, but Russell was um you know it, it incredibly incredibly big incredibly strong could jump high was you know was Scott. I mean he he was every bit the match for Chamberlain as an individual I mean the only, only thing that Russell really couldn't do on a basketball court effectively was shoot he did everything else he was an effective scorer a great passer obviously yes. you know a trans, a defensive player um you just they were both incredibly intelligent players too um exactly. so yeah there there's a, there's a, there's a um a a tendency to kind of cast uh, Chamberlain as this giant whose physical gifts just let him, you know, be great, but he lacked the, you know, the the mental fortitude that Russell had and the, you know, willingness to self-sacrifice and work hard and, and, and all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, that's really important. And I think, I mean, I don't know if you guys want to get into this at this point or not, but, um, in the book, you know, an important part of what I feel I kind of discover about this rivalry is how it fits into the history of race, um, in the NBA. And, you know, they, um, appear in the first decade, um, after the desegregation of the NBA and in the context of the rising civil rights movement in the country more broadly. And, uh, part of what I speculate ultimately, I mean, I can't really prove this kind of thing, but, um, part of what I speculate that this myth does, um, for fans is, sort of resolve or keep at bay certain anxieties that arose at that time around the rapid ascendancy of African-American players in the game, their presence, but also their transformation of the game. And there were really at this point in the late 50s and then into the 60s, no players that embodied that um, more strikingly than Russell and Chamberlain, who really kind of took the game above the rim. Um, And... I think that at, at that moment, given the history of the game, which had for the first 50 odd years um, been at its kind of most recognizable institutional levels, most visible institutional levels, a white game, it was a segregated game. Um, I think that produced a lot of anxieties for fans and journalists. And you see this in the, in the writing at the time. Um, and there's a way in which I think the myth of the rivalry allows Uh, those fans to, in effect, appear to accept the presence of African Americans in the league, because after all, they're choosing between two black players uh, as to who is the best. Um, But in another way, by kind of mapping certain qualities that had traditionally been attributed with white players and connected to some kind of ineffable essence of basketball, by mapping those onto Russell, uh, they could, in effect, sort of safeguard those values and Chamberlain in the meanwhile could get painted with all these sort of supposed attributes that were really stereotypes about black men and black athletes at the time and and honestly still to this day.
1: Yeah, and I think that the the to this day, and, and of course, you you expound on this a ton in that chapter, which I'll obviously, of course, recommend people read uh, to get a better you know idea of this. But no, it's still something that I think we I, I know Charles Barkley uh, in recent years has been very outspoken about that. Usually during like draft, uh, you know, around draft coverage or whatever, yeah. or even when a lot of this I know the the one of the big times when it was coming out was during before LeBron had went to Miami and won the championships. There was a lot of this idea of like, well, look at him. Why doesn't he do more? He should do more. He's he's this. He has all these physical gifts, and I think that was the term that that Barkley. Got uh, particularly upset about is like this idea of, and and it goes to Chamberlain as well. He is gifted of this this monstrous man, and like what you said a little bit, where Bill Russell's this frail, small, like, you know, hardworking, gritty guy, and it's like he's like 6'9 and very strong, and like, but you know, but you you get this idea where Chamberlain is this he he doesn't work hard, he's got these natural athletic gifts, but he doesn't do enough with them. He can't win because he doesn't work hard enough, or he doesn't try hard enough, or he doesn't do this, but he's got that, like, he gets by on, on just pure physical like something that didn't even you know he had no control over it. it just was blessed upon him as this size and this you know strength or whatever and then whereas Russell like you, you say in the chapter a lot you know, unfairly as well as sort of, you know, people sort of ascribe to him to being, you know, smaller and more, you know, it required more hard work. And there, there are some instances where that is true or Russell did work harder than Chamberlain at certain points. But the idea that, of course, that Will Chamberlain was this like loafing, like <laughs> like that he just didn't care, like he didn't want to try, like he didn't didn't work hard at his game, like that sort of stuff. It really it, it gets you. But I think you do a great job in that chapter sort of breaking down how nicely and, and conveniently it fits into the OK, we have, you know black basketball players which are just physically gifted but lazy and then there's these guys and they're hustlers and they're gritty and they're and, uh, tough and, yeah. that, and that still comes out today but of course like you said it, it it was interesting that america sort of had to choose oh crap it's two black guys okay we'll go with this guy because <laughs> exactly, yeah. he's closer to what we think white players so That's it's welcome. it's super interesting i think you do a great job of sort of breaking it down and, and, and discussing it because when when i was reading that i was just nodding my head the entire time oh, like you. Yeah, you
2: nailed it so good yeah. good thank you i'm glad to hear that yeah, yeah it, sure you respect, know and i i feel that it's you know part of i mean i i I know I, I have certain affinities, I guess, or sympathies with Chamberlain, but, but the truth of the matter is I think that the myth really diminishes um, the accomplishments of both of them um, and the abilities and the complexity of both of them. So it's, it's really not just about trying to kind of rescue uh, Wilt Chamberlain from, from stereotypes, but also about trying to recognize the complexity of, of Bill Russell as a player And as a human being, I mean, he's, you guys have been talking about. I mean, yeah. And
1: I I didn't mean to interrupt, but we talked a little bit in in our first episode uh, about how, like, he's an okay scorer. Like, people sort of forget that, like, he was a pretty good scorer. Like, there's numbers that'll show that when he retired, he was among the best scorers in NBA. Like, but there's this idea that he just, like, never wanted to score a basket. Nope, nope, nope. Just let me rebound and block and steal. And, like, but it's, it it, scored a lot. Like, he's a very good scorer, too. Yeah. You get an
2: image of him sort of either, you know, blocking a shot skillfully to a teammate to set off an outlet pass they're getting a rebound and throwing it to koozie and then as though he just sort of waited under the basket for the next defensive (laughs) possession but you know you can still see um tape of him bringing the ball up on the break uh himself um and making pretty um clever skillful well-timed accurate passes to teammates on the break um you know this is a pretty amazing thing for a guy his size in an era where those skills were not encouraged um, in players of that size, right? Uh, This is well before any positional revolution, obviously. So um, yeah, I mean, this is a a very well-rounded basketball player uh, as was Chamberlain on the other end. I mean, a great defensive presence, a great rebounder um, and a hard worker. I mean, he played more minutes per game than anybody in history. Um, So it's, you know, it's a real selective kind of perception of their play that could lead you to the characterizations that, that I think kind of uh, define the myth of the rivalry.
0: Yeah. And it's easy to forget that Russell had basically the ultimate in team stability when it came to, you know, remaining in Boston the um, in, entire time of his career. Well, while, while almost every single other franchise in the time that they were there, they, they moved to a different city uh, other than the Knicks. I think every other team did move. Um, and, um, you know, where Wilt and it was playing for the, uh, same coach until he became the, uh, the coach of the team, whereas Wilt, you know, didn't have the same coach for more than three seasons had, he just, you know, uh, his team moved, um, he much less stable and supportive ownership situations, just, you know, um, yeah. Russell didn't have to deal with the obstacles that Wilt had to deal with on um, those things and you know there there may be some certain things where especially relationship with coaches Wilt did not necessarily contribute to making that a better situation but nope. um you know Russell um had the you know the genius of his day the 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 greatest coach of his day to um lean on and you know just those personalities and the personalities of the team um that was built um you know, by a guy who understood dynamics very well. um, You know, all those things um, obviously benefited Russell and did generally not help Wilt.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, I mean, you know, much is made sometimes of the supporting casts, and I know that Bill Simmons has a chapter in his book uh, where he um, purports anyway to debunk the myth that Bill Russell had uh, superior supporting casts. But I think actually the numbers... These days, I think Neil Payne once did a piece on this um, at Basketball Reference, kind of saying, no, actually, he did have a better supporting cast. <laughs> and I think the other thing you mentioned is really important, which has to do with kind of the stability of the environment, uh, I mean the team environment, that is the leadership of Red Auerbach. Um, I think that in um, in the Undisputed Guide to Pro Basketball History, um, Bethlehem Scholes makes the argument or points out that that Auerbach is a kind of, um, you know, proto-Spurs sort of um, general manager in that uh, he was grooming replacement players for particular roles and positions, um, even while certain stars were still kind of on the roll, right? Um, yes. And so, you know, that gives a player like Russell um, really a, a lot of kind of, I think, uh, security and confidence. Uh, to, the, to know that he's not going to have to suddenly retool um, his game um, because he knows what parts are there and, and what they're going to do, and he can rely on that. And I, 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 you know, I'm not an elite basketball player, but I can imagine that that would be a really important factor in contributing uh, to the success and to the willingness to trust the coach um, that you know, Chamberlain seemed to have trouble with uh, over his career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, their rivalry, obviously, or maybe not obviously, but it it, it did help uh, spark the popularity of the league. Um, It it grew in size. It grew in um, in television exposure. It grew in, you know, financially, uh, you know, it it, it grew um, throughout the uh, the decade of the 60s. And and um, you know, Russell versus Wilt was the defining narrative of the decade, much like Bird Magic uh, 20 years later. Um, and in, in fact, their first game was already incredibly hype. Um, R- Russell had been in the league for uh, three seasons already. Um, and it had been a major college star at uh, University of San Francisco. Uh, mm-hmm. Chamberlain had also been a big college star and also spent a year with the um, Harlem Globetrotters who were still a major attraction sort of at the end of the period in which they were sort of a bigger attraction than even the NBA was. Um, and in fact, one of the big reasons why integration was fairly slow in the NBA is because um, there was a um, the owners of the teams were did not want to alienate um, Abe Saperstein, who was the owner of the Globetrotters, who um, played double headers with NBA teams and helped uh, bring in a lot of revenue during the early days of the NBA. Yeah. Um, and um so, yeah, it, it was considered a basically a new beginning of basketball. The Celtics won the game 115 to 106. Russell or Chamberlain outscored Russell 30 to 22. Um, and it was uh, known as the big collision or the Battle of the Titans in the newspaper accounts at the time. Yeah. Um, and Russell's uh, quote um, basically just, you know, he, he touted him. um in in their first encounter basically was the guy who would um never criticize him throughout his entire play career he would always praise um chamberlain as just being great now what a great challenge he was and what a tremendous um player he was and how hard it was to um play against him and there's also there's sort of speculation as to whether that was those are really russell's feelings or whether he um helped you know was sort of to perceptions um by doing that um or whether um you know psychological play whether it was natural but it, it, it's interesting that up until a, a very key moment at the um after russell retired which we'll get into that basically you know they um Russell was complimentary toward, Wilt, Wilt toward Russell and they had a you know a, a pretty a deep and respectful uh, friendship they would uh spend time with each other when they traveled to each other's cities Russell would um sleep at uh Wilt's uh house which his mom always thought was kind of weird that Russell would take a nap in uh Wilt's house and um you know so, so there was definitely a, a closeness uh, uh between them throughout even though they obviously had a fierce uh, competition as players
2: yeah that's right um and I think that's important. I mean, I know uh, somebody asked if, you know, it was a kind of uh, on Twitter. I think somebody asked us if, if um, Russell's respectfulness and his proclamations of friendship were sort of mind games. And, you know, who knows, that may have been something he felt was effective. But I really, you know, I don't think that, um, let's say this. I think that if that's the case, he carried it really, really far, um, if that's all there is to it and uh you know there's this you know famous words um after chamberlain died about being unspeakably injured by chamberlain's death and so uh you know i really think that um you know these two big black men um really breaking new ground uh in a professional sports league and being the first superstars really uh in that league um you know, shared a bond that I think goes beyond kind of competitive mind games and so forth. Um, you know, they they were in in some ways very much alone. Uh, I think in ways that probably cemented a friendship and respect, um, even though you know there were falling outs and um, and even though you know no doubt they both wanted to win their matchups very badly. Um, so, and you you can see that even kind of in in interviews that they did together late in life. Um, you know, there's a little bit of one-upsmanship going back and forth. Um, so I, I know that that's part of it. But but I do think they shared something quite unique. Um, th- there's no doubt in my mind. And, and you know, I make the – I think I cite Russell talking about it. And you mentioned it in your opener that, you know, he didn't see it as a rivalry. He saw it as a competition. And I think he had a very sophisticated understanding, Bill Russell did, of what competition – really means, um, and, or can mean in sports, uh, a, a, a notion of it that we've kind of lost sight of, uh, today, but you know, in, at the time of basketball's invention and for most of the history of sport, uh, sure there are winners and losers in competition, but those are means to a different end. Uh, the point isn't just to win for the sake of winning. The point is that winning is there to spur you to excellence, uh, physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual excellence. Um, and I think that that's what he recognized occurred over the years of their competition. And that that's really why he was, uh, stressing that, um, that it's not about the vanquished and the victor, but about what together they produced over the course of a decade.
0: And, you know, they, they were as much the same really as they were different. I mean, you know, they were, um, you know, they were, uh, both obviously very tall they were black they were proud strong-willed intelligent independent um they could be um aloof and difficult with their uh, teammates you know, even Russell yes. uh, famously did not like to practice he gave Tom Tom Heinsohn and other teammates a a hard time he was a you know a, a hard guy to know in in some respects um yeah. And they both were, um, in particular Russell, um, you know, very much, uh, were, were part of a new generation willing to speak out about social issues. Exactly. Um, and, um, and, and, um, you know, they were willing, you know, they were willing to kind of stand out there and Wilt was, he was less political, but he was definitely more just, um, he spoke a lot just in just how he acted and he was, Will he just was, you know, um, he was himself, and he was—he—he just—he—he he stood out and, w- and did what he wanted to do, and um, you know, and and if you don't like it, too bad. Um, it's—it's it, interesting because, you know, they can be cast very much. Um, you talked about how kind of they're—they're they're cast on these different sides of things as players, but uh, in terms of how they are, um, socially they and as as activists, they're actually somewhat on the opposite side. Um you know, Russell was kind of the first guy to really uh, speak out about racial quotas in the NBA. Will yes. was more, more along the lines of, well, you know, owners are just being practical. They, they, you yes. know, they need to survive kind of thing. Um, and, um, and, and Russell was more, you know, um, strongly aligned with the civil rights movement and, yes. you know, even in the later sixties with, um, uh, more, um, uh, militants isn't the right word but but, but um sure. stronger yeah. groups that um in the uh, in the late 60s black panthers he was you know supportive of um some of those groups that had, had gone beyond what the you know previous civil rights groups um had advocated whereas Chamberlain you know backed Nixon and was you know um right. you know that had had this more of this kind of thing so I mean you know it, it's just all to kind of say that um you know those those initial perceptions of them um are, you know, personally, they, they're very, they're very different from that. And they're just, they're all over the map and they're they're people. I mean, people are all over the map in what they believe and how they act and the things that they do. So, um, as you dig into it, there, there's so much more complication to it and and so much more deeper things to, to learn about it.
2: Yeah. I mean, the only comment I'd make about, I I think your characterization of their politics is, is really accurate. The, The only thing I would say is that, you know, from everything I've been able to read about Chamberlain, um, I I really wound up feeling convinced that though I disagree with him, um, he believed that when he was speaking out, he was speaking out in favor of things that he thought were going to be best for African-Americans. In other words, he was not somebody, as far as I can tell, who ignored social issues or racial issues or believed they didn't matter or that, you know... He, nor nor for that matter, that he was somehow um, immune to suffering from racism. Um, I mean, I think he was aware of it and aware of it as a social problem um, and a problem that affected blacks who weren't rich and famous like him. Um, And, you know, I think certainly looking back and probably was obvious at the time for that matter, um, you know, he he formed affiliations that clearly were mistaken um but but in the myth of the rivalry those mistakes get turned into kind of moral flaws as though they are proof of his selfishness or his individualism or his kind of prickly sensitivity um and russell's activism is proof of his integrity and it is proof of his integrity but i don't think that it's fair to say that um that chamberlain was acting without regard for issues of civil rights or racial inequality in, in the U S because I, I, from all I have read, he thought he was acting to try to remedy those issues. Yeah, I, I think you're right for sure.
0: Uh, Rich, um, do you want to go through some of the, do you dug into some of the numbers? Is there anything that yeah. uh, you want to get into?
1: Yeah, just real briefly here, this is kind of a, a great breakdown. A basketball reference has this uh, as well, which made it a lot easier. Of course, I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> looked up Wilt Chamberlain versus Bill Russell, so they said, you know, what, we'll make a whole page about it, uh, which is pretty good. But of course, the first fact uh, that I actually pulled out, which Iago, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier, is that over the course of their 143 games uh, they played between playoffs and regular season, uh, Russell's team has won by roughly two points. Yeah. So, as you said, it's a very, you know, despite there being, you know, all these game sevens and all these things, and, and of course, the moment you sort of assume Russell is the winner Chimlin is a loser it you know two points is it's not as it's not as big as it uh, it appeared but uh, ninety four regular season games uh, Wilt averaged 20, uh, 29.9 points per game. Unfortunately, he carried a thirty seven and fifty seven record. Uh, where Bill Russell, he had fourteen point two points per game, but of course he had the fifty seven and thirty seven um, advantage. Uh, the first game they ever played, we mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, Boston won one fifteen to one o six against Wilt's Philadelphia Warriors. Wilt had thirty, Russell had twenty two. Uh, the last matchup between the two in the regular season, Los Angeles actually won this time. Uh, Los Angeles will Chamberlain's Los Angeles Lakers uh, one o eight to Boston seventy three, and this is on March sixteenth. 1969 uh Wilt had 9 points and Russell only 2 and this was of course um Russell's last year, but we'll get to that in a little bit, because they uh, they do battle again in the playoffs. Uh, they have 49 uh, total playoff games between each other. Uh, Wilt's 25.7 points per game, so a little bit down, uh, but a record not that bad, 20 and 29, actually. But, of course, all the Game 7s and all the big, <laughs> big-time games yeah. uh, are all in Russell's favor, uh, Russell uh, are, are mostly in Russell's favor. Russell, uh, 14.9 points per game, but, of course, 29 uh, and 20, uh, his record. Uh, the first game they ever played, uh, Boston won eleven to Philadelphia Warriors 105, which is ironically the same date as their final regular season game, that March uh, 16th. So that's that's nice and interesting. Uh, Wilt had 42 points. Uh, Russell had 19 and fouled out. But, of course, his team still won. Philadelphia Warriors, they lost, though, unfortunately. And then the last game the two ever played, Boston won 108 to the Lakers 106. It's a very famous game that I'm sure we'll talk about here in a moment. Uh, May 5th, 1969, uh, Wilt Chamberlain had 18 points. Bill Russell had six, but of course, uh, it's famous for many, many other things. So I don't know if you want to jump into that right now sure. well, as well, because it's a very, uh, it's a point in game yeah, for we'll,
0: sure. We'll do, we'll go through uh, the early playoff, so, some of the major playoff, um, okay. uh, things, and then, then we'll get, we'll kind of, uh, finish with that. Cause it, obviously it's very, uh, important to them and their relationship. Um, in the playoffs, they, they had, they played eight playoff series. Um, Russell's team won seven times, uh, four of the series went to a uh, game seven in all, um, four of those cases, um, Russell's teams won. So, you know, it it very easily could have been a, you know, if they even went, uh, you know, 50, 50 in those situations instead of, um, Russell's team winning all time. That very much would change the, uh, I think the perception of, um, of both players, even though it would not be a significant difference. And, and and I, obviously I, I do think that there is a, um, I mean, the Celtics just showed like an incredible ability to win over and over again in these tight situations, not just against the uh, Warriors and 76ers and Lakers, Chamberlain's teams, but also um, against the Hawks and against yeah. the uh, Lakers before uh, Chamberlain went there. So they they did this over and over again to a lot of people. So I, there, it's more than luck. But, you know, when you're winning by these margins, there is certainly an element of luck that that goes into that. I I think that that's pretty fair to say.
2: Yeah, I would agree with exactly what you said. I think that, um, uh, there's a luck play some role. I think that, um, you know, it, I, m- my sense is that, um, you know, winning and closing out is something that is learned also, uh, and learned through experience. And, you know, as you pointed out earlier, um, Russ had won, um, two, uh, NCAA titles with San Francisco back to back. Um, before entering the nba he won a gold medal um in the olympics and um and you know he was playing with guys who knew how to close games out and and they and were used to doing it together and could trust one another and i think that has as much to do with these outcomes as luck um or as some sort of you know choking inability of chamberlain to Uh, to win games. I mean, it's, you know, it's the, the, I think the issue has to do more with what, what experience he had with that task and what resources he had around him to enable him to, to complete it successfully. Uh, I mean, this goes back to, you know, when he was at North Carolina, at Kansas, sorry. And they lost to North Carolina in the NCAA title game. Um, You know, it's, it, it. there's something really tragic. I mean, I'm st- starting to sound like a Wilt partisan and I don't want to, but there's something very tragic to me about uh, the margin by which we could be having a really different conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um so uh, 1960 Eastern Division Finals, the Celtics won 4-2 to against the Warriors. In 62, a rematch in the Eastern Division Finals. The Celtics win in seven. This is a, a game seven where uh, the Boston wins 109-107 in overtime. Russell ties his own finals record with 40 rebounds. And Sam Jones hits a game winner with two seconds left. Um, in the 64 finals, uh, the Warriors have moved to San Francisco at this point. Uh, the Celtics win that one easily 4-1. to and the 65 Eastern Division Finals world well, is now in the 76ers. The Celtics won four games to three. Um, uh, they won game seven. The Celtics won game seven, 110 to 109. This is the famous uh, havachuk steals the ball, where he stole the yeah. inbounds pass by Hal Greer after uh, Russell actually had a uh, a turnover in that, uh, right. in that series. Um, the 66 Eastern Division Finals, the Celtics win 4-1 uh, to one, uh, fairly easily. If I'm not mistaken, there was a, a pretty serious injury for the uh, 76ers in that series. Uh, 67, the Sixers finally uh, break through the uh, the 68-win team that was the greatest uh, single-season team of all time at that point. Um, and... Um, Russell's gracious in defeat, uh, visiting Chamberlain in the locker room and shaking his hand after uh, that loss. Um, the, seven, the Sixers ended up winning the championship for World's first championship in his career. The uh, 68 Eastern Division Finals, it's another narrow one where Celtics win in seven, uh, 100 to 96. But I, I, and it's the first time a team that was down three to one ended up winning a series. And um, I think the most fascinating thing to me um, that sort of illustrates kind of the different environments that the two are in is, is um the game 1 was on April 4th um 1968 which was the uh, uh the day that Martin Luther King was assassinated and um basically the Celtics and the Sixers both had to deal with the decision of like whether you know they were able or willing to play the game um it was in Philadelphia um Red Auerbach who was the GM at that point Russell Russell was the coach called an emergency meeting to discuss whether the team should play Russell didn't want to, but he feared riots. If they did not, the team eventually discussed the matter and discussed it pretty, like matter of factly. Like there was, um, like Bailey Howell uh, during that um, meeting was like, oh, you know, it, he was a reverend. Like if you know, um, if um, Billy Graham had died, would we cancel the game? So there, there were, <laughs> I, I, what, what, yeah. What, what I'm trying to say is that there were the <laughs> attitudes were. There were there was it was open, open minded environment where people could speak their mind and not fear, you know, e- even saying something is horrible, you know, as, right. <laughs> like that. But I but I think in this case, it's good. I mean, they were able to kind of get those feelings out. I they agree. eventually discussed the matter and decided that, you know, at that point, it was fairly close to the time of game. There was a fear that riots might happen. So they decided to play. Um, on the other side, Wilt uh, had called um, Jack Ramsey, the GM, um, ahead of time, saying that he didn't want to play. But Ramsey basically brought up ticket sales and contractual obligations and was just, you know, like not sympathetic about it. Um, I mean, right. Wilt and Russell sort of talked and both decided yeah. that, you know, it was, it was a good idea to play. But then later, um, uh, Alex Handum, the coach, you know, d- didn't call meetings, meeting. So the Sixers showed up basically around game time, finding out the Celtics had voted to play. They all had, they, several of the players met and um, at that point basically it was decided that it was too late to um, to make a decision and then everyone, you know, was, um, it, you know, it was an element of disharmony where they didn't really deal with the situation. The the management yeah. didn't really understand how to deal with it and, you know, it, it affected one team in one way and, and another team in another way. So I, I thought that was sort of an interesting um Kind of showing a parallel, not really with Russell and Chamberlain themselves, but more with just the environments that they were in.
2: Yeah, that's right. I think that's a great analysis. Um, Yeah, nothing to add to that. That's a it's a great description of how it went down and and what forces were at play. I think for for the two teams, and I guess I would just say, you know, it goes back to the earlier point that y'all made about uh, just the stability of the environments, um, or you know, relative stability of the of the environments in which each of the two players was kind of not just playing basketball, but sort of just navigating life as uh, sort of very visible African-Americans at a time of conflict, tragedy, and so forth.
0: Yeah, and, and really, I mean, they, uh, even though the Sixers had, you know, really been a successful team, and looked like they were going to be kind of the dynasty that took over after the Celtics were done. Um, after they lost the series, you know, um, Chamberlain was, uh, he wanted out, he was traded to, to the Lakers and that everything sort of broke apart. Alex Hannum left and, um, they slowly started to, um, decline within just a few years. They were the worst team in NBA history, uh, up until that point. So, it, it, I mean, it really was like, uh, You know, it wasn't this wasn't this moment itself that led the spiral downward, but just the environment went from so incredibly good to um, so incredibly bad in, you know, in six years. Um, And then the the 1969 finals uh, that we referred to uh, the Celtics, uh, who were at at this point were you were all in their um, early to mid 30s and were definitely Aging and had struggled a bit in the regular season, had had the worst regular season in uh, Chamberlain's, or excuse me, in in Russell's uh, career there. Um, They were able to uh, beat the Lakers, who were heavily favored in the uh, series. Uh Chamberlain famously was uh landed awkwardly when grabbing a rebound and came to the bench with an injured knee with about five minutes left. The Lakers were down 103-96, but behind their backup center Mel Counts, the Lakers cut the lead to 103-102 with two minutes left. Chamberlain kept um informing um Butch Van Bredikoff, their coach, that he was ready to return, but he had been they had been feuding really uh horribly yeah. for the entire season. The coach said, We're doing fine without you. And we'll never got back to the game. And then um, Don Nelson hits a uh, he's able to get the ball um, after it was deflected off of uh, John Havlicek. And he uh, takes a jumper from the uh, foul line and then it bounces off the rim and just drops uh, drops in. We talked uh, about this uh, game seven uh, during our uh, game seven series last year. So you can there's more detail if you're interested in that. But yeah. Um, so that this is the uh, another you know there's four situations here I think where uh, you know it just barely just a bounce went the Celtics way and they were able to um to uh, you know win a championship and and this is Russell's last game and um and you know and and that's it for their uh at least at least their rivalry when it comes to um their their playing rivalry we'll
2: say correct yeah that's right
0: um and then then another interesting thing kind of coming out of that is that a few months later um russell uh, he was um he, after he retired he did a bunch of things uh he moved out to california kind of um tr- tr- started to play uh tr- tried to get into acting and um sort of uh got into the dating scene um after a divorce and um but uh, he also did a bunch of tours of college campuses where he would just you know take take questions from students and And then there was one that asked him about, Will Chamberlain and he, you know, was really critical of of Chamberlain publicly for the first time about taking himself out of that game and saying that, you know, if he hadn't, didn't have a broken leg, there was no excuse for him to get out there and that he was, he was a loser and, you know, some pretty harsh things. And Russell apparently didn't know that there was a reporter there who reported on it. And then they basically, um, uh, you did, didn't speak for almost two decades. Um, they did, uh, re, uh have a bit of reconciliation toward the oh, yeah. end of Wilt's life. Um, but, and, and Russell did, um, apologize to will privately and, and the two, you know, gained some closure, um, there, but, um, it, uh, obviously that, you know, it, it took a big toll on, um, on their friendship and, you know, both lived, um, Lives uh, where you know they were basically alone for a long time, and yes. um, you, you know, you wonder, um, you know, at, uh, I'm sure would like to have had each other. Uh, I
2: think um, they yeah. have had
0: plenty of sense and all that, but um, and, and sort of a sad um. Yeah, thankfully, they did they did reconcile, but sort of a sad um, you know, situation that they had with and They were so such strongly friends during their careers, and then afterward, they drifted apart because of this.
2: Yeah. I mean, it is sad. It's something really tragic about it. Um, I, I kind of view that as, um, that falling out as really, you know, not the, I I don't blame Russell for what he did. I see it more, nor do I blame Chamberlain for, for the game seven situation, but I just see it as kind of symptomatic of the incredible pressure, uh, that they were both under, um, really at all times. Uh, it's kind of remarkable that something like that hadn't occurred previously. Um, And if I remember right, I'm thinking of Aram Gudsouzian's book, um, King of the Court, um, Bill Russell and the Basketball Revolution. So really fantastic biography. And um, he kind of describes their these late night phone calls that they shared, um, you know, in the final decade of Chamberlain's life. Where, you know, the, it, almost in spite of themselves, they just needed each other. <laughs> they, as you said, I mean, they needed to talk to one another. Um, they'd been through things that nobody else really on the planet um, could kind of comprehend. Um, and so, you know, they started they, they did rekindle their friendship. And I think it it actually grew quite intimate in their later years, um, despite the fact that, you know, they weren't seeing each other regularly or anything like that, but just by, by way of phone calls. And I think that sort of helps explain part of the way that, uh, Russell, um, reacted to the news of Chamberlain's death and, and, and what he said, uh, at the funeral.
0: Um, so two things that I think, um, I'd like to close with, uh, unless anyone else has um, anything else. I, you know, uh, heading back to um, to to. Well, first, I'll bring up um, like let's say that that Will and Russell never had to deal with the opinions of sports writers or sports fans. If they could have just played basketball and. Um, and, and enjoyed it and, um, you know, and, and me, you, we could still see it and we could still understand it, but we could, you know, they, they did, they were insulated from the, the criticisms that they, you know, dealt with as players, you know, whether it was basketball criticism or whatever they were doing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wonder how, um, we'd view this rivalry in that context. If there wasn't just such like, um, so much invested in the fact that one got the better of the other in terms of team success?
2: Yeah, well, that's a great question. I think, uh, in, in, in a way just, um, it's part of what I try and do in the last section of the chapter on the rivalry in ball. Don't lie. Um, which is to just like, look at them on the court, you know, having deconstructed the rivals, we can't take back all the stories we've heard, but, but if we can set them aside briefly and just watch them play uh, together and and really see um, them as a unit, uh, not only as rivals or as competitors or as individuals on opposing teams, um, but really almost like artistic collaborators, uh, that's what I try to kind of emphasize. And, and really what I see, um, having done the work of trying to kind of undo some of the Um, preconceptions uh, that decades of storytelling about them have laid down in in my mind, too. Um, And and I really see there uh, a collaboration more than anything else. I mean, it was a competition, but it's a competition that engendered a collaboration. And that collaboration had profound effects on the game of basketball. I mean, I really don't think that there is any element of the game now that can't in some way or another be traced back to them. Uh, not directly, obviously, in some cases, but but indirectly i mean they 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 truly revolutionized the game together, and in the course of doing so, they revolutionized or or participated in a in a revolution in American society and in the way in which black athletes were viewed, and in the way in which um, black people were able to view themselves um, so that 's what I think we would see um, if and what we can still, in at least a certain way, imagine ourselves seeing uh, or adopt as a perspective. And and it's really what I hope people do when they think about these two players.
1: Yeah, on my end, I would sort of, you know, if, if we're devoid of sort of hot takes and reporters exactly. through history, I think... Um, I, I, the way I would sort of take it, or I think what, how, you know, some people might perceive it is just that you're watching and maybe people would appreciate more what they were seeing at the time they were seeing. Cause, you know, of course, I, I, I don't know what was going on, you know, exactly at that era, what was, you know, being written and all the, everything that's, you know, the national media and all that sort of stuff. But just knowing from my perception of how I've lived through it, how I've, it's always been, like we said, and it, it, it Yago, you, mentioned it in the chapter as well it's always been this guy versus this guy it was very little an appreciation of how good those games were of how exactly. good those two guys were how good their teams were how good it was that or how cool it was that these guys no matter what it was like oh here we go <laughs> you and me yeah. again like you know we sort of we got a more of an appreciation of that i think during the magic bird era where it was like oh cool it's magic bird again like that's fun and yes there was that element of okay it's bird versus magic who's gonna win or whatever but i feel like there's a difference there where people just seem sort of generally happy that those guys played each other. Those guys had great games or those guys, you know, had great performances or whatever. Whereas even now, even today, when we still talk about, you know, Wilt versus Russell, we always say, Wilt. Ver- it's not Wilt and Russell having these spectacular games. It's like these two battling to decide, you know, and all oh, Russell beat him here. And like, and that's what I think maybe if we didn't necessarily have that, or we could look at it differently, it would be an appreciation for, Oh my God, like, what these guys were able to do in this era and how often they were able to do it against one another is just, it's it's incredible. And it's something that we, you know, if living in that era, I would almost cher- cherish a little bit more of just go like, oh my, you know, this is, these are two, you know, all time. And we still, will still to this day, you know, these are all time greats. You were watching two, arguably top five, top 10, you, you know, whatever you want to say. I mean, top, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with a top 10 for both of these guys. Like you're seeing those guys play each other Constantly like that how cool is that like you're, in this moment you 're watching these two guys and they 're doing things you 've never seen on a basketball court either, and I think that 's another really awesome thing as well is that what Wilt did and what Bill did. Each one of them was just completely different from what anybody had seen before in the game. And, and you know, many of the Russell biographies that we've sort of read and, and, and leafed through uh, in anticipation of this WrestleMania thing or whatever talks about just how much of a culture shock it was to see what Russell was doing, you know, in terms of blocking the shot. Like, oh, my God, somebody like <laughs> – like that's a revolutionary thing of like blocking. And then Chamberlain comes in and it's just this completely – You know, game breaking sort of guy and game breaking offensive talent that just completely radically altered the game. So I think that's sort of what I would, you know, if we take away the who won, who won, you know, who won this finals and who did this. It would be that, oh, my God, you know, the the confluence of these two guys at the same time being as good as they were. And then the fact that they played each other all the time in big moments and big games or whatever is just just cherish that and, and, and to sit back and sort of enjoy it versus worrying about who won or, or, or who was going to win or who was going to win a championship or who was a disappointment or who was overachieving, just sort of appreciating it a little bit more. Absolutely.
0: And uh, last thing I'll bring up is, you know, would Russell – I mean, I, I think Russell is basically – at least as a player, was almost universally respected and acclaimed uh, when he retired as, you know, yeah. a, as a winner and as as you know a, a guy who put the team first and so forth. But do I was the contrast with Chamberlain? Did that help him achieve that respect and that view? Uh, would he have been seen as more of a menace without Wilt as a contrast? You know, um, like, like would, would Russell just be as like, oh, this guy just, you know, it's, not, it's not fair how much he dominates the game and how great he is. Yeah.
2: Unquestionably. I mean, Jimmy Breslin wonders whether basketball can survive Wilt Chamberlain. So thank God there is somebody to defend basketball against Wilt Chamberlain. That someone is Bill Russell. If Chamberlain, you know, in this counterfactual fantasy, hadn't been around, Bill Russell would be the one breaking the game.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think also, um, you know, the, the 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 fact that Russell achieved that that great of success um, is just an, an, another of. You know, there's a benefit there because of um, just, you know, demonstrating once and for all that, you know, a- African-Americans can be leaders uh, and can, you know, yes. and, 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 and you know, are great champions and, you know, don't shrink in big moments or whatever the, you know, terrible stereotypes were at the time. I mean, um, and there, you know, it may be an extra achievement because, you know, he, he won so much and because, you know, he, um, he was kind of immune from a lot of, he, he certainly was criticized for a lot of things during his time, but he may yes. have been immune from harsher criticism just because, like, hey, he won so many times. It's like at, at some point you've got to raise your hands up and just say, hey, you know, he yeah. he did what he did and it was amazing.
2: Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we should not underestimate – I mean kind of understate the degree to which he was subject to a, a lot of criticism in his career. Oh, yes. Um, yes. And, you know, kind of really vile – racism in Boston, um, in his own neighborhood. And, um, and that, you know, in a certain way, it was only after his retirement that, um, the culture fully caught up with sort of what a significant human being, um, he was.
0: Yes. Yeah, I I was meaning more toward the end of his career. Yeah. Where I think sure. it was more it, by that time. I mean, he, he was certainly facing horrible things. Um, uh, but he, uh, I I think the tide had turned to a degree, at least uh, more I in terms of like public criticism and in media coverage and that sort
2: of thing. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. Well. Uh. Anything else? Uh. Anything else you uh, would like to bring up, Yago?
2: Bye, ball. Don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, ball. <laughs> don't lie. We'll have a link in the show description. Of that. That yes, of course. Great. You should yeah, buy it. I, I, I
1: definitely recommend you
2: buy it. Yeah, yes. I really appreciate you guys making a space for uh, a more nuanced and appreciative discussion of these two players because I think that's really important. Because um, a lot of the attitudes that underlie the myth of the rivalry, they continue to resurface. It's not like we get over it uh, and it's done and in the past uh, just because these players are no longer playing um, so it, it's great to have a space in the kind of contemporary culture of the game where this kind of conversation can happen.
0: Well, 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 thank you very much. And, uh, anything else, Rich? No, that's it for me. All right, cool. Well, uh, we will, uh, continue, uh, with our, uh, WrestleMania series, uh, Going on for uh, the next few weeks, so be on the lookout for uh, more episodes. And if you are enjoying it, or even if you're not enjoying it, uh, let us know. You can find us <laughs> on uh, Twitter or uh, Facebook at Over and Back NBA. Our show can be found at HarvardProxism.com. Also, can be found um, on iTunes or Stitcher by searching for Over and Back. I uh, would greatly appreciate a, a rating and or review, um, preferably a positive one, but you know, be honest. <laughs> And um, uh, until next time, uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back again soon.